0: Thank you Roddy, thank you Wags. Yes, it's me, Jeff Houch, Jordan Scruggs. It's it's only an hour, Jordan. You, are you recovered yet from state championship travel or still a little a
1: little mossy right now? Man, I am exhausted still. Um, I'm a little sick too. I always get sick around this time of the year and I'll I'll lose my voice. I I'm kind of in the process of getting it back. I didn't lose it fully. I usually don't use it fully, but my voice is cracking all over <laughs> all over uh, state championship weekend. Um but yeah, I'm I'm exhausted, and it's not great timing for me because you know signing day is less than forty eight hours away. But yeah, man, it's we're, uh, we're gonna thug it out and make it work. So we're we're rocking and
0: rolling on horns twenty four seven. The stampede dropped this morning. We've got percentages on all the Texas targets over there: uh, Xavier Filsaime, Andrew McCuba, uh, Ty Anthony Smith. We'll we'll run down the list, and when tomorrow we'll hit that heavy, assuming decisions haven't leaked by that point. But I want to go ahead and start, Jordan. We, uh, you know, did not have a show together on Friday. And even if we did, it wouldn't matter because Matthew Golden made his commitment to Texas on Saturday. Again, I I don't know. You couldn't have spelled it out clearer for everybody if they were really paying attention. This one had Texas written all over it pretty much from the time he entered the portal. Matthew Golden's a Longhorn. And I've actually got an article up at Horns 24-7 right now. and, And I've got another one coming. It's actually I'm in the process of editing the thing right now. But the one that's on the site right now, it's kind of looks at Chris Jackson being able to get the most out of Matthew Golden just based on what he's done with A.D. Mitchell, the kind of years A.B. Worthy had when he was healthy and, you know, had two fully functional hands. Uh, Jordan, we, we talked about Matthew Golden, but this is a guy that the minute he steps in, especially considering how inexperienced Texas is probably going to be at receiver with Whittington, Worthy and Mitchell probably all moving on after the season. The next, the next guy that's got the most targets that will be coming back is Jontae Cook, and he only had 12 targets in 13 games. So not a ton of experience. So Matthew Golden, unlike the other portal receivers Texas has taken, which A.D. Mitchell was taken to to be a number two to Worthy, and you can go back to you know, Tariq Black was taken. They just kind of took a flyer on Tariq Black, took a flyer on Tariq Milton a couple of years ago. This is the first portal receiver Texas has recruited to come and be the number one guy right off the bat. It's a lot of pressure on Matthew Golden, but this is a guy, man, if everything clicks for him, he's he's only going to be here a year because that 2025 draft should be calling his name.
1: Yeah, and, you know, while we're here, Jeff, can you give me my flowers for saying the week that Texas was playing Houston that I thought Texas was playing their wide receiver one for 2024 on Saturday? I will, you remember yeah. that because I remember it. I,
0: I wasn't going to mention that. I was only going to bring it up if you did, but, yes, Jordan did, did come out early in that week and and say that so
1: yes i can't confirm he called that thank you thank you thank you um (laughs) yeah matthew golden i'm i'm happy i'm happy they're able to get him a great player um and i really like him um i know a lot of people probably might have expected more um uh stats after that um the last year or two but I mean, he said Donovan Smith on him the football, and before that, he had who was who was the Houston quarterback last year? Was it also Don – no? No, it was, he was Clayton, it was
0: Clayton Tune. But yeah. you forget in twenty two, his freshman year, Tank Dell was their
1: number one. Yeah, that's like, Tank,
0: Tank Dell had one hundred and fifty two targets. I was looking at the numbers this weekend. One hundred and fifty two targets.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: it's it was an absurd amount.
1: Yeah, um, and this year I know Golden dealt with issues uh, like injuries. They also had um. Sam Brown, um, who actually ended up leading the team in receptions, reception yards, and I believe touchdowns as well. Um, and he, I was told by the people who have been telling me Golden was going in the portal for months now, um, have been telling me that Sam Brown is supposed to go in the portal, and I don't believe he's entered yet. So I guess Houston's getting their um, main receiver back. They also could be getting Dakiel Shorts back. Um, Houston just had a really weird thing going on where they announced they were bringing the two lane wide receivers coach and the two lane D line coach. And then Mm -hmm. a bunch of guys under the portal and they're like, uh, wait, (laughs) um, now they're retaining the defensive line coach. They haven't officially made an announcement for who the receiver hire will be, but I know they're in contact with with the kill shorts. I also know he's talking to a bunch of other sec programs that have open roles at the receiver job just because that's how good of a coach he is. So, um, no matter what, once the receiver coach from Tulane, it came out that he actually wasn't going to be with Houston. I called the golden source right away. I'm like, hey, what is this effect? And he was like, it doesn't matter. Like, everything's been soured over with Houston. Like, that ship sailed. He's not going yeah. back. And I was just like, all right, got it. Um, Jamari Caldwell, on the other hand, um, last I talked to that source, he was expecting to go back to Houston. Um that was brought up just because I'm like, hey, you know, there's stuff on grades and credits um, online. How much is this true? What do you know? And he was just like, it won't matter. They hired early. He's coming back. Right. And I was like, all right. But he still hasn't pulled his name out of the portal. So that is something I'll be checking on later today. Um yeah, he was the name. He was the name. He was a guy that entered pretty early. Uh, you know, uh, yeah,
0: you mentioned SEC programs. I want to say was it was it Kentucky or Florida? I can't remember which one. But Dekeel Shorts had emerged as, as a probably maybe the lead candidate for one of those. It's one of those SEC East programs that he would emerged yeah. as a leader for the job. Uh, was it Kentucky? I hadn't even, I, I, I haven't seen that. I just know. Uh, I want to like, I, I say it was Kentucky, but I've I've slept since I've read that report. Uh, yes, but you're right. You are right. You are right. It, it Kentucky. is Kentucky. Okay. Um. Yeah. Going back to Matthew Golden real quick and just his time in U of age, you know, I'm just looking at targets and Sam Brown had led them this year with 90 targets. Joseph Manjack had 64. Golden had 63. And then Stephon Johnson with 37. Dalton Carnes with 32. So yeah, he, he was injured. Uh, you know, sixty-one point nine percent catch rate is is okay. It's not you know great or anything. It's not elite. Uh, did have six touchdowns, tied for the team lead. The thing that uh, if there's anything that concerns me about Golden Jordan, and, and look, like anytime you're a, you're a number one ish wide receiver, you're and you're going to get targeted a lot. The more targets you get, the more opportunities you have to drop passes. Like, if you look at the NFL leaders and drop, like, as a Cowboys fan, this is something, you know, people used to get on Des Bryant a lot for. Oh, he drops a lot of passes. He drops a lot of passes. Well, if you're getting targeted 15 times a game, like, yeah, you're probably going to have a lot of drops. The Matthew Golden, that said, Matthew Golden was, uh, I think, tied for the Big 12 leading drops this year. He had six drops. But like you said, Donovan Smith is not uh, what I would call a a, a – you know, doesn't, doesn't deliver the ball with pinpoint accuracy that I would say it. And on top of that, we talk about a guy that was dealing with injuries, not all that different. Jordan, than in his, you look at golden's kind of career arc right now, it's not that different than what Xavier worthy went through at Texas came on at a really good freshman year and the sophomore year, which is kind of, it just felt kind of herky jerky stop starts when he was good. He was really good Uh, when he was bad. He was really bad. I think it was the, uh, their loss to TCU. I think, I think three of his drops were in that game alone, uh, their first conference game. So, but this is a guy that, again, six foot, 190 pounds, you know, doesn't give you kind of the, kind of what we talked about. One of the needs is for Texas at receiver, that bigger body, that thicker body guy that can make contested catches on the outside, uh, doesn't give them that. That said, I mean, he, he does have a decently respectable contested catch rate. If you look at his pro football focus numbers, uh, He had a contested catch rate of 37.5% of his contested catches, contested targets were catches. Uh, That would be the third best in the Sarkeesian era if he was playing in Texas. So that just shows you kind of what one piece that Sark's offense has been missing. So he doesn't really give you that, but gives you a guy that's going to make an instant impact in the return game, a guy that is really good against zone coverage, a guy that can get over the top uh, with his speed, a guy that can work after the catch. Uh, a guy that, again, just going to come in and be a, a bona fide number one type receiver. And you hope everything clicks, because if it does, you'd like for him to be one and done. You'd like for him to to come in and, and 2024 be his only year. And then he's a first or second round pick in 25, like I said. So this is the guy, though, Jordan. I mean, we heard, you know, a lot of names. We heard Relique Brown. We heard Juice, Juice Wells. We heard a lot of different receivers tied to Texas. But I know... Your sources and and a lot of our sources on the site were pretty adamant that, no, there's some good receivers out there, but Matthew Golden's their number one
1: target. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of would have liked them to pursue Will Shepard. He's now committed to Colorado. Um, But, you know, if Matthew Golden is the only receiver take you have out of the portal, I'm completely cool with that. Um, I still would like them to go after a big body kind of outside guy. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, like the Golden Edition, you know, that that satisfies me for sure. Um, but it just does kind of worry me that they don't really have a big body presence at the position. Now with A.D. Mitchell, you know, he's expected to leave. They don't have that on the roster. Um, yeah. And, you know, Jatavion Sanders likely gone, could come back, I guess. Let's say he's gone. Do you have a guy you can throw a jump ball to on the team? Um, Is Gunnar Helm going to catch – has he shown us he can catch jump balls?
0: I'm not yeah, saying he can't know. do
1: it, but has he shown it before? I don't – he's not no? that kind of
0: – Gunnar Helm to me anyway is not yeah. that kind of tight end. Um, you know – I mean, it would have to be, I mean, could Ryan Wingo be that guy right off the bat? But then again, you're expecting, you'd be expecting a lot from a true freshman. That's why I like the golden take. Jake asks in the chat, well, you know, what does the golden addition mean for Jonte Cook? I don't think it means anything for Jonte Cook because Jonte's still going to play and play a lot. Looking at the numbers, uh, you know, Golden brings you a lot of versatility. That's the other thing with him. You know, over a third of his snaps as a freshman uh, were in the slot. But then this year, just, you know, personnel changes and, and different things for Houston, almost 95% of his snaps were out wide. So he's played enough in a slot. He played enough out wide. You can pretty much put him anywhere. You know, Jonte can play inside. You know, he can play outside. That kind of leaves you with Ryan Niblett and DeAndre Moore competing for that slot role if you just wanted to play Golden and Jonte Cook outside. So for Jonte. It really doesn't impact him one way or the other, other than maybe taking a little pressure off of him instead of saying, Hey, you know, in the pre portal era, you would have been looking at this saying, All right, you're going to need Jontae Cook going from being a very much a part time player to now you're getting number one wide receiver snaps. Like, it's a lot to ask of a guy. So, you're, you're lessening, you're lightening the burden on Jontae Cook a little bit. Not to say he couldn't handle it, because I think we all agree Jontae Cook's really freaking talented. But you just don't have to ask him, like, hey, uh, go from being a true freshman who's playing, you know, a handful of snaps a game, if you're in the game at all, uh, go replace Xavier Worthy. Just go go do what he did. You don't have to ask him to do
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a great point, uh, Sandsman. They don't. But I just, I like, I love... Uh, big-bodied outside receivers, even like scouting them as prospects. I just, I really like that kind of receiver. Um, they're fun to watch, and Texas doesn't have that, so that's kind of just why I brought it up. But that is an amazing point you made. Um, in well, my opinion, can where I, the can golden. I add something
0: on that, real quick though, Jordan, to mm-hmm, to Simmons, uh take right there. Yeah. Have they not thrown jump balls because it's not a part of Sarge's offense, or have they not thrown jump balls because they just don't have that guy? Like, Sark didn't really have that guy. You you look at Sark's time at Alabama, they didn't really have that guy either, that thicker-bodied, you know, big-bodied 6'3-plus receiver. Mm -hmm. But when you had the talent that they had at Alabama, you really didn't matter what you had. Like, you had –
1: You you weren't in that situation
0: often. Yeah, yeah, you had that 19 season. And by the way, like, you know, the red zone fade is one of those deals. Uh, That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about contested catches. Mm -hmm. Like, the the red zone fade needs to be – just packaged up and fired into the sun. Like, I hope I I never see it again. I think it's one of the worst plays in football. But, you know, and Daryl brings up the the point there. Sark's offense is built on guys who can make plays after the catch. It's built on yards after catch. And he's done a lot to reinvent that receiver room. You know, I, I felt like, I just hope that as we see Sark evolve and start to build this roster, Jordan, I just hope we don't see him become too focused On that type of guy. Like, not to say you can, it's not to say you should stop recruiting speed. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But like, it felt like Tom Herman was trying to find, you know, that next Colin Johnson, that little Jordan Humphrey that you end up with just some, it's kind of like the the problem the Mac Brown staff ran into. And I had a coach on that staff tell me this. They were so obsessed with trying to find the next Lima Swede that after a few recruiting classes, they look at their roster and say, Dude, our receiver room is just a bunch of big guys who are slow because they were trying to find that six five that six five guy that could go high point the football. So it, yes, sometimes you don't need that. I I, t- I think you make a great point though. I think where you need that guy is in the middle of the field. Like Jatavian Sanders is that guy for you that can go make a contested catch. Uh, are you going to have that at tight end? I just think you need one of those. It's kind of like having a. It's kind of like having a three hundred and you know. Forty plus Plus pound like just this big hulking nose Tackle you can't have like Six of them because that's Just not how football is played right now but you Need at least like one or two of those guys You know so I, I would just like to see Maybe the offense evolve a little bit Just just a guy that can just you know Run a go route or a seam route and 20 20 20 25 yards 30 yards Down the field be able to body up A safety go up and get a football and come Down with it and get you a chunk yardage play
1: Yeah yeah, in terms of um, how to fix Jonte, if they don't add another receiver, then, I mean, I have not asked or heard about Ryan Niblett. So um, I'm not sure if he'll be ready, but, you know, him coming out of high school as fast as Jonte is, they're in a different class of speed. Um, where I think the best setup would be having Niblett at slot and Cook and, uh, golden on the outside um and then if they bring someone in put Jonte at slot Jonte can truly play anything i truly believe that um but the thing that Jonte has that i give an advantage to him over the other freshman receivers besides just being better than him his football iq um and he's yeah. had this since he was young man like noted people are noticing this like a sophomore like I've never seen a high school receiver like so advanced at finding holes and pockets in the defense and like getting open in zone. You know what I mean? And yeah, so much of DeSoto, of what kind of what DeSoto does is <laughs> great job, CB. Kind of what DeSoto does is um, they kind of out athlete people a lot of times throughout the year. Yeah. Um, and you know during Jonte's senior year, I saw him a lot. I saw him a lot his junior year. He was getting doubled and. The defense would stack to his side, different stuff like that, like to game plan to stop him. And he would find ways to get open in zone when the whole zone is focused on stopping him. Like yeah, that said, having him in the slot with his speed um, and his football IQ, he could be better prepared than, than Ryan Niblett could be for the slot. Even though Ryan Niblett has physical attributes that might make him better better. more of a better projection for the slot um but i mean yeah like if if they don't get another receiver i think Jonte has to play outside um yeah. i think DeAndre Moore could maybe beat out niblet in fact if i was a betting man i'd probably bet on DeAndre but i mean you you know how i feel about niblet long term like, yeah his ceiling's as high as anyone's
0: yeah
1: we talked about that. I, I
0: think I, I put words in your mouth, but you agreed with me last time we talked about it. Like DeAndre Moore has the higher floor. You're going to be ready to play earlier. But Ryan Nibble has got the higher ceiling. It's interesting. Uh, and I, I appreciate it. Kevin, thank you for that in the chat. Yeah, I, I like you. the I, I like where the chat is going with this and talking about Sark's offense. And, you know, it's worth mentioning Um You know, not having that bigger guy on the outside, not having a thicker bodied guy who can go make contested catches. I think part of that is because the physical element of Sark's offense. And and I don't know if Sandman or somebody else mentioned it. um, If you didn't, I apologize. But, yeah, Sandman mentioned it. Uh, Jordan Whittington's probably the most physical receiver Texas has. But it's a different kind of physical. Like, Whittington could be that guy to make contested catches on the outside. That's just not what they ask him to do. Uh, but his background, basically, his senior year at Quero, basically being a Wildcat quarterback. Also, the the reps he spent early in his time at Texas, uh, at, at running back, he's got that same deal. Little Jordan Humphrey had of being being comfortable with the ball in his hands in traffic and being able to kind of to avoid contact and being able to work through the wash. Uh, it's not yeah. It's not a trait a lot of receivers have, but that's where Whittington's physicality shows up. I think the physicality in the Sark offense. Uh, and why he's able to scheme guys open is when the running game is clicking, when 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 they're able to run the football and then be physical up front, reestablish the line of scrimmage, and you've got a back that can maximize runs and start demoralizing a defense. Now you're putting more bodies in closer to the box to take care of the run. Now you're able to scheme guys open on the outside. And when Sart gets in his bag, man, while those games where he's in his bag, it's it, it, even if Texas doesn't have great numbers running the football, like if yards per carry or just the 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 net rushing yards at the end of the night aren't big. They're running it well enough to where all all that other stuff that makes his offense special can work when he can, you know, know, put guys in motion and, you know, utilize targets in motion, utilize bunch formations, stress the defense horizontally, uh, get to empty formation. Again, a lot of pre-snap movement, using guys' different releases when you're in bunch formations or when you're in a tray set or or, or a three-by-one, whatever it is. Uh, that's when you really see Sark get in his bag. So uh, I think – I don't think we're necessarily off Jordan on, on wanting Texas just to have that guy, but I'm trying to psychoanalyze Sark. I think he feels like, no, 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 the physicality – he wants the physicality to stay within the tackle box, and I want to kill you with speed on the outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I want to answer uh, Kevin Jones' question. It's finding a tight end the caliber – Novacek or Shipley, hard to find in recruiting. And is there anyone in the portal that good as a tight end? Um, in the, the tight end position, the portal's kind of like edge, where like those guys, if they're that good enough, they rarely enter. Um, I'd say that's more, that statement's more false this year for sure than it was last year. But I mean, there still aren't a ton of great options in the portal. And, you know, by now, most of these guys have committed. Um, in terms of recruiting them, uh, there's like, it, 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 it might honestly be the least developed position, yeah. at least on offense. Yeah. Um, and even factoring in defense as well. Like, so much of tight end recruiting is just finding someone who's like 6'4 taller and is really athletic. I mean, and has the frame. Like, J- yeah, if you go back and look at JT, didn't
0: at, at Ryan, like, he didn't play in line. Like he, yeah, he didn't. He was either you know playing into the boundary or playing to the field side out wide. Like he didn't. Very rarely did they you know bring him in, even use him as an H back. Like he was a legit wide receiver in high school, uh, and and that's why they spent his freshman year doing really pretty much nothing except Jeff Banks worked with him to trying to develop his skill set as a tight end. I think it's for. I think because of the nature of high school offenses. It doesn't seem like there's a lot in between, Jordan. It seems like, and you saw, man, you watching the state championship, you pretty much got to see a little bit of everything from, you know, the six-man stuff all the way up to what DeSoto and North Shore and Duncanville did over the weekend. So you see, you saw kind of a, a little sampling of everything. It really feels like either you're in a run, and your high school offense is, let's just take the state of Texas, you're either in a run-based offense, some kind of, modernized version of the wing T or the veer where you're running the ball a lot and those guys are blockers or you're running a spread where that guy's a flex tight end, or maybe he is just a true outside receiver. Very rarely do you get a guy that is a legit tight end because more often than not, what happens if you get a guy early enough in his career in high school, that's got a tight end body type, especially at the bigger schools, you're gonna work your tail off as a coaching staff to kick that guy inside, try to make him an offensive tackle because that's probably the position he's gonna end up playing at college if he goes to college. So yeah. there just aren't there just aren't enough of them. It's it really is, it's um it really is kind of the developmental position, maybe the most developmental position other than quarterback that there is. Uh, you know, left tackles on an offensive tackle, period. Or another one of those Just because that's just uh, such a different spot to play And I've talked about the issue with off-ball linebacker Where I feel like now The college game is starting to catch up With what the high school ranks are bringing them In terms of off-ball linebacker bodies Uh, But yeah, tight end is Dude, it is a a total crapshoot Like, you just look at the tight ends Texas has right now Like, look at the roster, right? (coughs) Gunnar Helm was a tight end in high school, right? that's very rare that you find one of those guys and they still got room to grow. Like you can find those guys, but are they physically maxed out? Do they have more room to grow? Whatever. Jatavian Sanders was a high school wide receiver. Juan Davis did pretty much a little bit of everything at Everman. And I think played more quarterback probably than anything his senior year. And then you've got Spencer Shannon and Will Randall, who are pretty much we knew when Texas signed them, when those guys committed that they were going to be project type guys. It was gonna be a couple of years before you heard from them. So yeah, it it is a truly developmental position.
1: Tight end is right now. Yeah. Someone said remember when folks thought JT would play D end instead of tight end. Not gonna lie, I wanted him to play Edge. I knew. did I did until at I that, watched him, the Tom in person. At that point in time, um going into his freshman year. Not a lot of hope for Texas. Uh, Sark's first year. Yeah, Sark's first year. And he was the only five-star in that class, right? Yep. yep. Yeah, he was an athlete. And, you know, guys that big that move that fast and that strong, um, pretty easy to tell that they're going to be successful. In my thought process it was just like, you know, he can make a lot more money being a first-round edge than being, you know, a first-round tight end. Um, I know you're probably like, but they pay the same. I'm talking about the second contract if you pan out. Um so but I was happy he made it work on offense because he's been awesome on offense. As to bring it all together and last their games Like I said I, I I was all for him Playing edge
0: and then I watched him in a playoff game Against College Station Just I'll never forget watching him And you know they did throw him some stuff down the field And he'd make contested catches And we all got used to seeing him make the one handed catches Because his hands are so dang strong Dude, I watched him, Jordan. I watched him take a tunnel screen and burn off on a defense for like a fifty-yard gain on a tunnel screen. I was like, "Oh, this dude is different." Like, yeah. I, so I didn't have a, I didn't have a comparison for him because I was like, dude, "I've never seen that. Never seen a guy like that."
1: Yeah, and um, it's funny. While we're on the topic of tight ends, <laughs> I completely forgot about this when riding the stampede. Um. But there's a kid, uh, Emery Winston is announcing his commitment in a few hours, and he's choosing oh, yeah. between Texas, Ohio State, and UCF. I currently have a crystal ball picked or entered in favor of, uh, of Texas. So does Hank South. I believe so does Tom Malloy. I think Wilt Fong might even have one. Um, yeah, he's got four predictions right now. Yep. All four of us, I just mentioned. Uh, we have him as the number 119 overall player, the number eight tight end, number 18 player in the state of Georgia for the 2025 class. Six foot one and a half, 235 pounds. He's a really, really thick guy. Um, has a kind of a pretty interesting build, if I'm being honest. But, um, you know, there haven't been very, very many kind of shorter tight ends, I would say, like JT Sanders. So mm-hmm. Texas looking to continue the trend. Um, I really like his film. I went and watched it a few weeks ago, um, but I'm not lying with you. I watched a lot of kids' film. I can't really remember what's on there to tell you the type of <laughs> tight end he is. It's kind of just been that kind of week as well. Um, yeah, but but he, he can he can play. Um, yeah, it's nice to see though that
0: that body type now uh, has a home in college because I remember. <laughs> I remember a guy that uh, when I was on the road covering recruiting, I made a spring stop by his school, and I passed on the word to whoever I could at Texas at the time. Like, look, this kid Dimitri Flowers out at San Antonio Churchill, I don't know what he's going to play on offense, but he's the kind of guy you take and you take him and you kind of figure it out. Well, is he a fullback? Is he an H back? Is he a tight end? And the answer is yes. Like he can do all those different things. And Demetri Flowers ended up going to Oklahoma and was a hell of a player at Oklahoma and Texas didn't really recruit him. And that was a time where Texas was pretty desperate for tight end help. Uh, but Demetri Flowers had one of those body types, man. Demetri Flowers was like six one. Like 225, 230 in high school. And I was like, I, I don't know, quite know what he is. He's unique, but dude just had ball skills. He had instincts. And I'm like, man, if you if you got those two things as an offensive skill player, like you in, in uh you know, you're you're thick enough, you got some functional mobility. I I'll take you and figure out where to put you. I just want you on my team because you can make plays and make stuff
2: happen.
1: Yeah. Um, CB said, "Wolfong is Walter Nolan ending up at Ole, at Ole Miss? Is that Ole Miss flexing their NIL prowess? Yes. Um, you go to you, you go to the uh, the portal class rankings. That's pretty much like all your schools with the highest payroll in college football. You just gotta put them in order without knowing what it is. Um, but yeah, if you're getting anyone big out of the portal, you have money. Ole Miss. Um, they don't." recruit high school super well. Um, I think part of that is just because it seems to me that they focus a lot of their money on a transfer portal. And this isn't really necessarily new for them either. Like they've signed a top three class last year and the year before, I believe like an all portal class. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, they got money down there and also like, I think this is kind of common sense, but I'm going to say anyways, portal players get paid way more than high school players do way more and it's because they've proven it already you know it's not like hey i uh destroyed high school competition for four years and i'm a five star and i'm probably gonna play in the nfl one day i want a hundred thousand dollars it's like no um (laughs) we have this guy named Ad mitchell who's played in the college football playoff two years um has missed a lot of time with injuries when he's played he's arguably the best player on the field on a two-time national championship team that guy wants to come here we're gonna give him whatever the fuck he wants (laughs) you know what i mean like there's a very big difference in how money is given to these guys and them being in the portal or high school they're much more willing to spend a ridiculous number just to get someone they'll do it in high school too and they're much more willing to do it in portal than in uh, than out of high school, because for all the obvious reasons. But so
0: the first cycle that twenty four seven sports where we uh, bless you where we ranked portal classes I almost botched that, but that's a tongue twister. Uh, that was the twenty twenty two cycle. Ole Miss was second behind USC, and then for twenty twenty three, when you look at portal classes. Ole Miss was third behind Colorado and LSU, and right now for 2024, as of this very minute, uh, Lane Kiffin's got the number one portal class in the country with nine commits just ahead of Colorado and Louisville. Jordan, there's that, that Colonel Sanders money coming in handy for Louisville, the number three portal class. So, yeah, Lane Kiffin gets after it in the transfer portal. You you brought up an interesting point too that I think is worth repeating, and we'll talk about some specific guys here in a second. And when you know, once we get through the signing period, we'll be pretty much full go with the Sugar Bowl. Um, so apologies for not getting too in depth with Texas and Washington right now. But you mentioned you know, tight ends, edge is another one of those positions where if you're looking for a guy in the portal, like those guys, if they're good enough at the Power Five level, usually they don't enter the portal. They're usually they usually stay where they are. They're usually three and done guys. I think what you're trying to look for, maybe, maybe this just isn't something Sark wants to do, but like edge guys, I think of Jared Verse, a guy that came from the FCS level and just needed to bump up in competition before, you know, to put some that, that you put power five level tape out there for the NFL to get himself on the radar. And you look at a guy like Trey Moore right now, uh, again, bumping up and look at where he's visiting, like bumping up in competition just to show that he can do it at that level. I think those are the kind of guys you're looking for. Now, are you going to find a tight end that can do for you what Jared Versus has done for that Florida State defense? I don't know, but that could be one of those deals, Jordan. Man. It, I think taking taking G5 players at time can be a bit of a gamble, but definitely, man, taking an FCS guy, that could be a complete crapshoot.
1: Yeah, it can be can be um someone say could it be possible that a d or j t returns it's certainly possible um i think <clears throat> um i i really don't think the a d will come back i think j t can certainly come back, and actually, some of the people i've talked to are expecting him to come back at this point um so that would, you know, that, that changes the game for next year if JT comes back. Yeah, it pretty, much, it
0: pretty much renders everything we've talked about for the most part for the last 36 minutes moot, but oh well. At least we got our thoughts out there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, with those things, you never know until, you know, the season's over and that could be two weeks from now. That could be three weeks from now. Yeah, so. man, it, it, it's one of those deals. Guys react
0: differently to different to, to situations. Like, uh, like let's do. What if Texas wins? Texas wins a national championship. Like anybody that's got any kind of a decent chance of of getting drafted reasonably high is probably going to go at that point. Because I think naturally you'd ask yourself, okay, well, what else do I have to prove here? I just helped Texas win a conference championship. We just won a national championship. But, man, if Texas, you know, if they were – if they, you know, lose to Washington or they were losing the championship game, does that motivate guys to maybe come back? You know, I, I think you've got to look at it different ways. Do you see a situation where, you know, you can go maybe – if enough guys come back, maybe you can compete for it again next year? I don't know. I know – look, it's an apples-orange comparison comparing basketball to football, but I know – whether it was Marcus Carr or, or Timmy Allen or any of those guys that came back from their first year at Texas to last year to be on that elite eight team. all of them to a man said that lost to Purdue in the second round where it was a it was a one possession game with about a minute left and then Jaden Ivy just hit some just crazy ass three at the top of the key and uh, Purdue ended up winning and plus the foul differential in that game was absurd but I digress. Uh, but like I said, that loss to Purdue really motivated them to come back, to to want to run it back, to say, no, we were we were that close to maybe making a run toward a Final Four, want to come back and see if we can put it all together. And they did. I know it's totally different deals, but if there are enough guys, man, I've, I've seen I've seen stranger things happen. Like we've seen guys, you know, at the Alabama crew, the Alabama crew did that. You know, the the Najee Harris, Devontae Smith class, mm-hmm. uh, they came back to try to win a national championship. And that 2020 Alabama offense, it's a shame that Sark was heading up that offense in the COVID year because I think that offense might get lost in the shuffle, but that offense was as prolific as any college offense I've ever seen. I mean, that offense, 2019 LSU, uh, 2005 Texas, you you can maybe throw that Cam Newton Auburn offense in there if you want to, a couple of maybe Chip Kelly's offenses.
1: Just say Cam Newton. He didn't have much help. <laughs> yeah, it was. There wasn't a single person on that offense that got drafted besides Cam Newton. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe, maybe some of those Urban Meyer
0: offenses at Florida, you know, with. Can we say Aaron Hernandez's name without getting censored at some point? I don't know. I was, I was worried about that. But, you know, Aaron Hernandez and Percy Harvin, and I think they had what, three or four wide receivers, with David Nelson and Riley Cooper. And I know I'm forgetting somebody else to play in the NFL, but. Uh, yeah, it, you know, Sam mentions that 2004 USC offense. Like, yeah, there's that 2020 Alabama offense with Najee Harris and Devontae Smith and some of those guys coming back. I think Alex Leatherwood was another guy that came back as a, for his true senior year. Uh, it was it was one of the best college offenses I've ever seen, but that motivated guys to
1: to want to come back. Yeah, CB said the most players ever drafted out of Texas was seven and '07. 07. X, um, AD, Sweat, Sweat, Byron Murphy, John A.
0: Christian Jones maybe like
1: – He'll get drafted. He'll get drafted. He'll get drafted. Six. Because I'm not counting Quinter JT. I counted X and AD, but I'm not counting Quinter JT in this. We're at six right now. Um, Jalen Ford will get drafted somewhere. His stock has been yeah. hurt, but he will be drafted. Jalen Ford is one of those guys that a team
0: takes a flyer on on day three, like really productive college player. Uh, Maybe not have the measurables. That's typically your your day your day three draft picks are typically like how we would look at at three star recruits, right? When you get into the three stars, you're either taking dudes that are really good football, like kind of like we talked about the pool Matt rule used to to, to get guys of Baylor. You're, hey. you're either taking, you're either taking great football players or you're taking a dude that man, he might, he might be a wide receiver with like elite track speed. He may have stone hands, but he's got elite track speed. I want to see what that looks like.
1: Yeah. Okay. So adding, <clears throat> Sandman's comment, adding Watts. Cause again, we're at eight. I'm not counting Quinn or JT Sanderson here. I think Jay Witt is like, if he gets drafted, he, he's going, he's it's gonna be close to mystery relevant. I just feel like with how unless he tests like a freak at the combine. If I was um, honestly,
0: if I was if I was Jordan Whittington's people and that was the projection, I, I may just try to hope and pray that I don't get drafted and you're a priority free agent and then you could pick your best spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so that's a Jonathan Brooks, if he leaves, that's nine. He'll get drafted for sure. Somebody will draft him day two
0: or day three, knowing that he's probably going to be IR'd for his rookie year.
1: Yeah. Um, There is some buzz that Baron Sorrell could leave. If he does, I think he would be drafted. Um, We're not going to count him, but we're at nine right now. If we do count Baron, we're obviously at 10. And then if you count Quinn Ewers and JT Sanders, you're at 12. Yes. So... Whatever team employs Bill Belichick is gonna turn Witt into a star. Facts. Witt is gonna become a mercenary, a mercenary special teams ace for years to come in the NFL. You know who banging, else would make sense? Banging there, Quero, Texas, baby. You know who else would make sense for Jordan Whittington to pair up with? Sean Payton Heaton. in Denver. Oh, that's what you're saying. In terms of you know who <coughs> who actually God damn it. <coughs> who actually could F around and get drafted if they – not because of talent, but uh, because they're big and fast if they go to the combine and shut it down. Keaton Crawford could F around and get drafted in the seventh round, dude. If he runs good enough at the combine, I really think that. Like, he looks like a zillion bucks. It's just like uh, once a ball snapped, it's like, ooh. Well, but you know what? Um, Man, it
0: could be a deal, maybe not drafted, probably not drafted, but man, Brendan Schooler's still in the league. And I remember being at his pro day and looking at the verified measurables and looking at his testing, his testing numbers. I'm like, this dude's getting in a camp for sure. Like Josh Thompson was a better, much better college player than Brendan Schooler. But looking at them both, I'm like, dude, if I'm an NFL scout, I know which one I'm going back and telling my. My foot, my you know, my my DPP Personal or my GM problem, about man. yeah, it's Brendan yeah. Schooler. And look, man, yeah. when, when when the goat Bill Belichick likes you and you know you can carve out a living playing football for Bill Belichick, you you did something right.
1: Yeah, yeah. but I
0: man to Jordan's point, like Brendan Schooler, Brendan Schooler had some bad film, you know. That, Some typically we see one guy. Somebody at Texas is going to have the kind of pro day where they're going to get themselves on the radar. Maybe not drafted, but they'll they'll intrigue a team. I remember Marcus Marcus Johnson had maybe. Well, that would have been for the twenty sixteen draft. Marcus Johnson had maybe the best pro day I've ever seen somebody have at Texas, like. If he would have just gone to the combine, he was like over, like over six foot, like maybe six one, like two two, uh, about 205, ran sub four four, three cone, 20 yard shuttle, all that stuff was off the charts. I'm like, dude, if you just looked at his numbers, you're like, oh man, this dude's a third, fourth round pick, but then he had no production because not that it was directly any fault of Gerard Hurd, who will not be slandered, will not be slandered. On Texas Sports Unfiltered, as long as I'm affiliated with the channel. But Texas didn't have the best quarterback play in Marcus Johnson's career,
1: especially his senior year. Yeah. Um, another guy I didn't even mention, we were talking about guys from this year's team that could be drafted. If Alfred Collins declares, he's getting drafted. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, he. That's not really an argument, I feel like.
0: he uh, He fits what you said about Keaton Crawford. Dude, that's Alfred Collins. Because that's, well, that's the Marcus Johnson scenario I just laid out. That'll be, he'll be the day three pick that like, dude, this dude didn't produce. Like, but look at it. He's 6'5", he's 310 pounds. He ran, you know, sub eight. He jumped off the charts. He's agile as hell. Like, his testing numbers are elite. Dude, take him and, you know, there's going to be a coach with a big enough ego that's like, yeah, I, I can make an all pro out of this guy. I see the next Chris Jones
1: yeah uh, it's a Jera special. This has Jera written all over it.
0: What Alfred, Alfred Collins? Yeah. Well yeah, it's a it's a it's a day three pick. That's where day three and priority free agents, that's where that's where the Cowboys thrive lately. It's like the second through the it's like the it's basically day two of the draft. the Cowboys can just avoid day two of the draft, pretty much. Like something always tends to go wrong with their day two picks. Like, not, he's a really good player. And I, I you know, he, he, people recover from ACLs now, but like <laughs> the one Cowboys preseason game I watched, I started watching their game against the Seahawks, saw DeMarvin Overshone's knee buckle as he's going into the sideline to make a tackle. And I'm like, well, I think I've seen enough of this game because I know how this is going to end. And sure enough, it was, a, it was a torn ACL and he was done. So
1: he was actually, um... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was trying to remember which day it was. He was at all three of the games um, on Saturday, the state games, just hanging out in a little suite. You know how Jerry World has, like, those on-field suites? Oh, yeah, the field hang- level one?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, he-, he was hanging out in one of those. Kelvin Banks pulled up to see Summer Creek get beat like a stepchild. Um, But uh, I'm trying to think of other guys. No Malik Muhammad siding. Uh, I asked because uh, a bunch of his sock teammates were there from last year's team, and I'm like, "Where's Manny at? He's like the only one that isn't here. He had practice Saturday morning. Yeah, that's what they said. So, <laughs> and I that's was like, "I, I mean, that, it that. is different when you're on a, a good team, and they're were like at me, but it was good seeing all of them." Um, that's why Kelvin Banks. Uh,
0: that's why Kelvin Banks was uh, was able to get to the Summer Creek game. Which, by the way, man, dude, I I. I've known Claude Mathis for a long time and I know he kind of he went to SMU and then went to Marshall before coming back to Desoto. But man, to see like his first run at Desoto had it not been for Kyler Murray and some really talented Skyline teams like Claude Mathis would probably have had a couple state championships already. But mm-hmm. to see what he's done in in kind of version 2.0 of his run at Desoto Dude, it is freaking impressive, man, to do that. I don't care who it's against. To do that in the state championship game, to have a team that can put a 70-burger on somebody in the state championship game, that's 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 rare, man. That's special.
1: Yeah, it is. And um, <laughs> you can't even make the joke anymore that like that DeSoto needs to give their rings to to Waxahachie because Waxahachie making the playoffs the last two years is the reason that DeSoto went into the D2 bracket because mm-hmm. traditionally it was someone else making it with the numbers that Soto had, then they'd go in the D one bracket and then would get whooped up by Duncanville in like the fourth round every year. Um, the last time that happened was in 2021. And then the new realignment um, with the numbers and walks hatch, having a better program. Than they used to Soto's gone D two the last two years. Um, yep. And Mathis, you know there's a lot of different opinions about him because of the way that it was handled when he left the team and the way he kind of forced his way back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to give him his flowers, man. Like, he beat Samps and he's got two rings now. A lot of people were upset about him, like, running up to score all of us in the press box wanted them to score 100. <laughs> uh, like, if it's gonna be this bad, like, you might as well hit triple digits. Um, but but no, it like dude, and they went up they went up like 22 cause they scored within like 10 seconds of the play clock and then did a fake PAT for a two point conversion and they got it. And then like the second play of summer Creek being back on offense, it was a pick six. They were up like 15, zero, like a minute 20 into the game. Yeah. And then they got up like 20, zero one point and we were all doing the math and it was like, Okay. If they stay on this pace, they'll score 176 tonight. And just like different stuff like that. But um I I like Claude because he he embraces that,
0: man. And he's almost got one of those uh it's almost like that same kind of deal Baker Mayfield has where like the more you hate him or the more he knows you hate him,
1: like the more he's just gonna take delight kick in kicking your ass. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I get, I've never known that I was spelling or pronouncing Waxahachie incorrectly. I say, I mean, I'm in Dallas all the time, and I always say it like that. Um, I Maybe Hatchy is what you're referring to. I also call it that as well sometimes. But, and That's how you say yeah. it, right? Yeah. yeah. Who's the big tackle on DeSoto's team? Uh, Byron Washington, number 76. He's kind of gone viral on Twitter the last few days. Yeah. Um, people are starting to find out because uh, your boy put in a crystal ball a long time ago um when did i do it you did that baby back in the summer right uh october 4th okay yeah somebody put in a crystal ball for him in the summer um not on 24 7 i'm the only one with one for him right now but maybe maybe it's just more recent than i thought so yeah, it's walks. Uh, oh, okay, okay, gotcha. I was just like, dude, am I? <laughs> I was like, what? But um, but Byron Washington, um, I really like Texas chances to to end up getting him. Um, Cal Floods, you know, we all know he has this love for overweight children. <laughs> um, Byron Washington is severely overweight right now, and but he can move very very well for how much he weighs. And there's there's so much you can work with there where like there really is a future. He's a big ball of clay, and if you coach him, he can be special. And yeah, Kyle cow Flood
0: uh, Kyle Flood can recruit offensive linemen kind of like the, like my cat a little bit a little bit portly, a little, little pudgy around the midsection like some of us are. But those guys are athletic specimens. Dude, how does Byron
1: Washington six eight? Right? Yeah. He's bigger, and, I, and to be honest, I don't think he's three eighty either. <laughs> I think he's yeah. more than that. <sighs> yeah, like yeah, I remember, man. dude, at, <laughs> when he got the Texas offer at um, the pool party at the end of July, and basically the way it works at uh, those events is um, they, they get shuttled to a parking lot, and we can be in the parking lot or whatever. And um, you know, me and all the other reporters in the market. Usually only one or two kids is getting off the bus. So all of us yeah. will kind of be interviewing the same kid at the same time. Compliance is out there with rubber bullets and tear gas,
0: making sure you guys are staying across the street where you're supposed to be.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then Byron. can I just. Uh, nah, we really out. It's dangerous now. <laughs> Byron, we were like, so, you know, Texas offered. Um, where We need to update your profile. How much do you weigh? And he was like six seven three fifty. 350 and i was just like <laughs> me it, me and hank like looked at each other like in the middle of all of our phones being out and we're like <laughs> and went back to it like hey, man, come on man it it's funny
0: um you know the way offensive line recruiting has kind of come full circle since i really started following it back when i was in high school And I remember Leonard Davis was a conversion D-line to O-line. But I remember Texas, you know, Texas had guys like Mike Williams and Antoine Kirk Hughes, William Winston, Lionel Garr, guys that were just, I mean, that big like 6'4", plus 6'5", like 330, 340, 350, just big, massive dudes because at that point, I think a lot of people were obsessed with there was a point in the 90s where you kind of mimic what's what's being successful at the highest levels of football. And you looked at like Eric Williams and Nate Newton and, and Larry Allen. And I think a lot of people wanted to mimic mark and a people wanted to mimic that Dallas Cowboys offensive line. And just like we just need big, massive road grader types. And it went from that to. You know, when the Broncos went back to back Super Bowls, it's like, no, we want the guys Alex Gibbs, like, we want smaller, leaner guys. We want to have more of a zone based run game. Uh, and now it's really gone. Then you wanted, uh, you know, guys that were kind of wanted of the best of both worlds, guys that were lean athletes, but guys that will bulk them up to, you know, 300 or whatever. Now it's come full circle backs like Kyle Flood's, like, no, we, we can run spread. And I just want just big dudes that can, they're just going to maul people. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, I asked Sark about it at coaching school uh i think last year because nobody ever really asked sark about it was like oh yeah big humans ha 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 we get a real knee slapper out of it i'm like what why is the obsession there with recruiting big people and sark said it went back to when he was in the nfl when he was the oc with the falcons and the falcons still do have one of if not the smallest offensive lines in the nfl and he'd say we'd be good he said but when we would go up against you know the Patriots or the Eagles or the Ravens or one of these teams that played with a big defensive front is like, we, we couldn't do anything. And he said, if he ever got the chance to be a head coach again, he wasn't going to go into a stadium and be at a disadvantage just because they lacked size up front. So that was a priority for him and for Kyle flood and, and being at Bama, you got the kind of the ideal body types. Okay. This is what, what we envision, like, like an Evan Neal or an Alex Leatherwood, like, and I know somebody mentioned Alex Leatherwood, Not a good pro, but he was still. I think he won the Outland Trophy. He was still a first round pick. Like that's the kind of guy they want, and that's the kind of guy they're trying to get at Texas.
1: Yeah, it was funny. (laughs) People are just arguing about Washington and Texas, the Alma Bowl, and someone said it's certainly an indicator for. No, where is this? Yeah, it was crazy last season how Washington held Bijan and Roshan for a combined zero yards.
0: Man, if if Wags or BKs listening, man, can we just ban Greg from the chat? Like, I just. Um, i I'm not I don't side politically on either side. I just want to talk Texas football without hearing anything about the wall or anything else. Just we just ban that guy like I'm kind of done with it. So anyway, yeah. um, Jordan, let's go real quick. uh, I do want to run down some of the things you mentioned in the stampede. We'll just go kind of guy by guy here. You tell me your gut feeling right now as we sit here, you know, less than 48 hours before guys start putting pen to paper. Uh, I'll just run down the guys. You tell me where you think they sign this week. Uh, we'll start with Xavier filso coming off of his
1: visit to Texas. Texas. We could actually see something as soon as today. Um, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if it goes to Wednesday, though, but we could see something as soon as today. So pretty much your own on me flip watch
0: it could happen at any minute leading up to or on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tyanth- I strong, strongly
1: feel like it'll happen. Like, he's the highest percentage out of anyone on there.
0: Ty Anthony Smith, who's maybe he's making visits. Maybe he's not. I don't know. He's like Batman right now. We don't really know if he's operating, he's operating in darkness. Uh, everybody's pretty much in agreement that Ty Anthony Smith's not going to end up at A M. Where do you think he ends up?
1: Texas. Yeah. Um, it was funny. He, uh, his, it's really, really hard to get information that you know is correct, um, on Ty Anthony Smith right now. <laughs> and his high school head football coach was at the state championship games, uh, I believe for all the Friday games. Um, and I've, wa- I've been trying to go up and talk to him because, I've only met him a few times. I knew, mm-hmm. like, I wouldn't be able to get information, but I saw probably about five or six different people from the recruiting industry try to go up to him and talk to him. I knew what they were asking about. yeah. And I was like, oh, how'd it go? And he's like, he didn't give up shit. He didn't give him shit. He just said, we'll find out Wednesday. <laughs> and I was just like, well, okay. <laughs> so I was happy. I didn't even have to. It was funny. One of them was like, I talked to him for 30 minutes and still couldn't get anything. <laughs> I was like, "Well,
0: <laughs> man, so sometimes, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose." Hey, on Ty Anthony Smith, how real is the Colorado smoke at this point?
1: Man, yeah, shit, you really don't know anymore with Ty Anthony. Because um, you mentioned it in the stampede. I, basically, like, don't hey, don't completely write Colorado off. Yeah, I mean, you can't ever write Colorado off, and his best friend is Draylen Miller, um, who's going there. Um. And I mean kids are a fan of Coach Prime in Colorado, Travis Hunter, Shador, all them all them guys. And you know, maybe he could he could have snuck up there for a visit. He never posted or nothing was ever posted of him actually physical proof of him being there. We just got word from very trusted sources that he was there. Um but the, there's a very high chance he could have flown to Colorado as well this weekend. You know, we're not we're never counting that off. That's kind of how Colorado operated to get Cormani McClain. Um, But, but yeah, right now I'm expecting Anthony Smith to end up at Texas. And I guess if his coach says we'll find out Wednesday, I guess that's when we're going to find out. Uh, Real quick, Jordan, let's just run through these. Uh, Aaron Hampton. Aaron Hampton, I think he ends up sticking with Texas, but it's just like he's – um, you know, he's been committed three different times already. So it's something we're watching. Maybe the third time is a charm. Uh, Alex Foster, you've been hot
0: on Alex Foster, uh, you know, from your time covering Baylor. Uh, he finally made it in for a visit. Where do you think Alex Foster ends up? The uh, defensive lineman from Mississippi.
1: You know I don't know. That'll be interesting. feels like it's kind of up to Texas um, for Texas to decide how bad they really want him. Uh, he did tweet last night. He wants to sign in February. So, Okay. You know, I don't think Texas wants they definitely do not want to wait that long if they end up wanting him. Um yeah. they're gonna want it earlier and I think that's kind of what's getting talked about right now. Um uh, yeah. The other guy I'll mention
0: because just before uh we hand the baton to Trey and BK, um Andrew mccuba Texas.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much you know, all but wrapped up, it seems like. Um we're expecting something any day. It could, like, we could get off air and he could commit. I wouldn't be surprised. He could commit on Saturday. I wouldn't be surprised. And then, um, uh, and then Trey Moore, are you still Texas for, uh, for Trey Moore? Yeah. I mean, I think Alabama certainly gave him something to think about with the visit this weekend. Um, but it really seems like he's known where he's going since prior to entering the portal. Um, at least that's what sources have been telling me. So. Nice.
0: Um, all right, that's uh, that's gonna do it for. It's only an hour. Speaking of Trey's, it's Trey Elling. It's BK. What's going on, fellas? Hey, we're we're just trying to talk Longhorn football, and we got some Joker in the chat talking about voting rights and Mexico paying for the wall, and I'm like,
2: dude, just can we not? Wow, we is that not? Greg? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had to put Greg in timeout last week, and I told him if he ever talked about politics again, he'd get the permanent boot. So if he is talking about politics again, then that might be the end of old Greg.
0: Yeah, somebody somebody did mention they don't want Greg
2: banned because it makes everybody else in the chat look smarter. So that's true. <laughs> see, my thought like when Greg's just promoting Washington. My, my stance has always been, hey, tell your friends. Let's get a bunch of yeah. Washington fans in here. Let's get some back-and-forth trash talk between now and January 1st. But if it devolved into just Greg talking about Ted Cruz and Donald Trump all the time by himself, and I don't know if we have a, a place for you, old Greg. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much use for that. Just keep it to whatever you want to say about football. Say whatever you want to say about me. Say it. Just I don't, I don't want to do the political thing. I do understand uh, all the other miscreants on the YouTube comments line treating Greg like the uh, the four who goes out with a bunch of twos to surround herself with uh, <laughs> women who are less attractive than her to look more like a six or a seven, though. Kudos to you guys for that logic. Yes. <laughs> all right. What do you, Trey, BK, what do you guys have coming up today? Shit, who knows? Oh, fuck. (laughs) We were going to talk border wall and voting rights, but you guys know Dan Patrick is not a sports radio host anymore. He's doing politics now. So, BK, I need your thoughts on uh, January 6th. Uh, Yeah, it's coming up in like three weeks. That is a hell of a championship game on that January 6th a few years ago. Yeah, two days before Texas is playing for a national title. Anything else happened on January six? You, you're,
0: uh, you're all the way. You're guzzling the Kool Aid, aren't you, BK? At this point.
2: Uh, no, no. I'm like Greg. I haven't told anybody yet, but I think Washington's going to win. So now everybody knows. <laughs> so, I guess I'm drinking Greg's Kool Aid. That sounds gay. Uh, yeah,
0: that's pretty. Eh, it's pretty unsavory. It's probably really, a good spot
2: for me to go ahead and, yeah, get out. Jordan, happy belated birthday.
1: I appreciate it.
2: But hope you had a good, uh, I know you were working your ass off, so I don't know if you actually got to enjoy any of it, but uh, happy birthday, my friend.
1: Thank you, thank you.
2: By the way, Jason, the only abortion talk on today's midday show is the abortion that is the show itself. On that (laughs) note, (laughs) boys, enjoy the show. See you all tomorrow. Great, Great job as always, fellas.